Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and this is episode 58 with the Baltimore Whiskey Company. And in studio, we have Max Lentz, the co-founder and CEO. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming out all the way from Baltimore. Um, I guess uh, often I ask where the name came from. I feel like it's probably pretty self-explanatory. Pretty self-explanatory. There is a little bit of history involved. Um, We we went through about a a billion names trying to figure out something that that we thought fit. And uh, we actually stumbled upon the Baltimore Water Company, which was the first water municipality in the U.S. It's part of that Baltimore history as the city of firsts. Uh, So we kind of ripped it from that as uh, where the inspiration came from. So there's a little bit of history involved, even though it seems very straightforward. Okay. Um, so then we'll go into uh, what what um, is your background? What were you doing before you decided to open a distillery? Um, I was working at a bar. I was managing a bar in Baltimore, Joe Squared, lovely little rum bar and uh, craft pizza joint, and uh, working on a business plan to open a bar. That's uh, actually uh, – why I started working there a few years before that was that I, you know, I love the Baltimore scene. I love the art scene and the nightlife scene. And when you kind of participate in something like that for long enough, you just want to be one of the creators of it. Um, so I was working on that. And then uh, Ian, co-founder, me and him started talking about opening a, kind of the history of distilling in Baltimore and whether it's possible to open, you know, this was five years ago when there were no distilleries in Maryland. So this idea of the micro distillery wasn't really in the, in the zeitgeist yet. So we had, uh, we were kind of talking about whether we thought it was possible to open on a small scale, like a microbrewery. And we kind of looked at some examples around and the bar plan kind of got scrapped when we started working on this distilling plan because it was kind of a whole, it was so much more fresh to the area. And it seemed, you know, there was this long Baltimore and Maryland history to play with. Uh, and then Eli joined in. Uh, Eli was a professional brewer at Peabody Heights. He was the lead brewer there for a number of years, uh, and one of kind of the he helped open that brewery. So he had kind of industrial scale brewing experience. I had distribution and product knowledge. Um, it was a really good team and the right idea with the right team. Uh, a couple of years of work, and then we were open. So uh, how did Eli learn to distill? Um, there was some moonshining involved. Okay, for sure. Um, <laughs> Probably completely on the up and up. Completely it was for the, the had an education license or whatever the right yeah a lot of preliminary. Traveling. No, <laughs> I mean it was a combination of of hard work, a lot of intellectual reading. Right, like we read all the material available. Um, Eli is a very science um, conscious brewer as well, so we got into kind of the nitty gritty of the whole thing when we were just deciding what kind of distilling we want to do. Uh, which is kind of what ended up pushing us over to the pot still side. Um, so some practical experience on a small scale and uh, as much uh, kind of intellectual stuff that we could bring into our own brains to help kind of understand it and prepare for, for the big jump. Yeah, I don't know why I was surprised by it. I guess it just points to me not being very bright. But how much science there is behind uh, distilling and maybe it's just cause I, like I learned how to brew through home brewing and it was just kind of doing. So it was like I made, there's much more science to brewing, brewing than 
I've been taught possibly, right. but it just seems that there's a lot more science with distilling than there is with brewing. I would say it's kind of circular, right? So when you learn to homebrew like that and you just, you follow the steps, you know, and you don't know what's happening, but you do know that you have to cook your mash at this yeah. temperature. If you're going to do a step mash, you do that, but you might not kind of understand the, the chemical processes that are happening and all that. Um, and eventually you'll, you'll go from that kind of following the instruction thing into the science a little bit. And then once you understand the science, it kind of goes back and it becomes more, you realize there's a lot of art to it as well. It's not just science. So it's a little bit circular. Our system is very expressive and subjective and we understand the science and we kind of take care of the details and make sure everything we do is kind of up to the highest uh, standards in that way. But we considered a little bit more art than science uh, in the long run. We've kind of come back to this personal expression of distilling. Um, and I think beer brewing is a lot like that as well. Well, that's a, and I guess one of the like main examples is even just that the difference between using a copper still or a stainless still that the, the, um, molecular chemical yeah, changes that take place to pull the, it's the fentyl alcohol. It's, it's the sulfites. Sulf, that's right. Yeah. Sulfites that are bound to, so like, it just seemed like every step and every turn in the distilling process, there's like a very scientific reason. I mean, I guess it's the same thing in brewing. Eventually but everything it, kind of boils yeah. down to it. Right. Um, but it's true. And, and honestly, to kind of to describe distilling on tours and stuff, there's kind of no way to do it without bringing in science and boiling points and, and all this kind of fun stuff. So it's a, it's a big part of it. And we certainly have a little bit of lab equipment that we can kind of keep track of uh, some, some variables with, and, and we do track all that stuff, but it's a good mix. It's a good mix. It's not, I don't think the best, uh, scientist or the best engineer necessarily makes the best spirit. I think it takes a lot of, uh, kind of personality as well. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, from talking to some of the other stillers, there's, there's still that very strong undertone of it, the art of it. The same as brewing where you're, you're expressing yourself through what you're making right. and, and there's no accounting for taste, you know, yeah. so you can make a, a great spirit that tastes bad if you just don't kind of have a good taste for what you're doing. So, so, and when did you open? We opened for, uh, our first distillation was November, 2015. Uh, so we're a little over two years old now and we were in the building for about a year before that incorporated and doing build out and, uh, you know, demolition and then build yeah. out and licensing and all that good stuff. Um, so we, entered into our lease November 2014 and I think it was almost about two years from concept that we got into the building. Now are there very many other distilleries in the um it's posted up now <laughs> is are there many other distilleries in the Baltimore area? I mean I feel like that's something I should absolutely know but um there are a handful of us now uh, and we are um because is Sagamore in Baltimore? Sagamore is in Baltimore and Port Covington. There's also Louthan Distilling, um, which makes corn whiskey. And there's uh, Old Line Distilling that does malt whiskey. Okay. Uh, so there's a nice little handful. Uh, and we're all doing very different things, um, which is great. And uh, so I know early, I believe it's early 2018, you guys will be uh, embarking on a large expansion to some extent and joining the um, – our friends from Union, and uh, it is part of the Union Collective. And 
I, I absolutely loved the video that you guys made to announce that that you were going to be joining in with that. That was a lot of fun. How um how did that come about? Did you guys approach the union people, uh, or did union, they let you? Union approached us. Okay. Actually, so um, it's interesting. You know, we always knew we were going to grow out of our space, and we figured it would be after three years um, because we kind of knew we could put about two years worth of whiskey away. Um, and really kind of fill the place up. And then in that kind of third year where we'd be selling whiskey, we'd be selling it at the same rate we're making it. So we can kind of just swap barrels out mm-hmm. and kind of keep the space. And then after the, our kind of namesake product had been out for a year, it, it would make sense for us to get bigger and, and expand and stuff. Uh, Union came to us and said, hey, come meet us at this warehouse. We have this interesting thing we're working on. We are inviting a few people to this secret meeting. And we went and sat in this circle in this enormous um, – in this enormous uh, warehouse in Medfield, which is uh, right next to Hamden, and they explained to us the Union Collective Project, which is a manufacturing-centric um, collaborative space where a lot of different manufacturers will be in there. Uh, Union Brewing is moving in there and opening their, their new tap room as well as a very uh, large expansion on their brewing process. Uh, a hot sauce place, Huckle's Hot Sauce, will be manufacturing hot sauce there. There will be a coffee roastery. Uh, an ice cream place, the Charmery, which has a storefront in Hamden now, which they will keep. Uh, but they'll do a lot more manufacturing of ice cream in the new space. Uh, Baltimore Whiskey Company will be there distilling uh, with a new expanded um, production uh, facility as well, which we're very excited about. And uh, there'll be a climbing gym, which is uh, going to be awesome. It's a little yeah. bit of an oddball oddball out there, but it's going to be great for, for Hopefully people just, just go to excited. that one first before visiting you and Union. Well, it's a bouldering <laughs> gym, so the floors are very soft. Okay. There's no ropes, so I think. Even if people follow us, bounce. And <laughs> right, no big deal. So will you be expanding um, your production capacity also, or is it mainly you need barrel space? It's both. Uh, we are essentially out of barrel space now. Um, but we will be getting a second still. Uh, another pot still it's about four times the size of the one we okay. operate with now and we'll be running them both um we'll be getting a, a new uh, a few new fermentation vessels and a new mash tun uh, it will allow us to really step up whiskey production uh, which we're very excited about doing um and also give us kind of a more room to have a, a nice friendly tasting area as well so i guess um you guys are old enough now that you're you have aged whiskey fully available in the market right it is not out okay no um epic straight rye which will be the first rye distilled in baltimore in about 75 years uh from what we can tell will be out in february okay so Uh, very soon very soon and we do taste it along the way um you never know exactly what's going to happen to something when you put it in a barrel for for an extended uh, age like that um but but now that we kind of uh understand what the product's like in there we cannot wait to get it out we think it's going to uh really kind of change the game cool and um what what uh what styles did you start out with um because i know you have a gin that's popular yes uh we do gin our our product line right now we actually have nine products at the distillery eight that are distributed in the market um so it's we pretty much arrange it into, into three categories. We do a, a range of gins. We do Shot Tower Gin, and we do a barrel-rusted version of Shot Tower Gin. Uh, we do an apple brandy line. Um, the The main product is a Mezcal-style apple brandy uh, that we do the fermentation on smoked what, apple. What formas. exactly does that mean? 
So, I've heard that like a bunch of times lately, and it means for, nothing to me. <laughs> a bunch of times, presumably from us, because I think we're the only. Okay, maybe it was like reading up, and I think that's I think that's pretty plausible. Um, as far as we know, we're the only people doing it, and if someone else is doing it, I'm I'm pretty sure we did it first. Okay. Um, so mezcal is a is a great spirit. We're we're kind of mezcal nerds over at BWC, and it's essentially an unaged smoked fruit brandy uh, made from agave fruit with kind of a very peculiar distillation process. So uh, we are not roasting our apples in a cave over mesquite coals uh, like they are doing mezcal. But after we get our, our uh, raw apple juice in that we'll, we'll do an apple brandy fermentation with, we'll get the peels and the cores from the pressing as well. And we will smoke those um, over a blend of wood that uh, we developed over a number of months. And then we'll do the fermentation on the smoked apple peels. So we, we kind of create this uh, smoked fermented cider and we'll distill off the apple peels as well. So we'll put all the juice and the apple peels in the still, uh, do a double distillation. And one of the very interesting things about mezcal is that um, traditionally you don't actually do a heads, hearts, and tails cut. Um, you still do a heads cut. Um, at least most of them do. I think some of them, some of them might not. Uh, but they'll actually distill all the way through the tails, and they'll use the the end of the tails run all this. Oh, and that's uh, used to proof root, down? To proof down oh. the spirit, to proof. So it's uh, all of it has been, all of it's come out of the still. It's not watered down at all. It's distilled to proof. And a lot of the really heavy smoke phenols in a pot still don't come out until very late in the run where the temperature has risen uh, hot enough to really draw them out. Uh, so we do the same thing with our apple brandy, which is a very peculiar thing to do with an apple brandy. Drinks a lot like a mezcal, um, which we were really thrilled about. Um, and we're very kind of excited to have it out there. Playboy so, called it the most, uh, the strangest spirit distilled in Maryland, and their strangest <laughs> spirit distilled in each state. Article nice. A little while ago. That that's a weird um, article to, to like a, a, a category to focus on. <laughs> what were some of the other weird ones? Uh, there's you know there's like bacon infused spirits oh, okay. and and some maple fermentations up in the Northeast and uh, some other some other ones I can't remember. Um, I think now we've actually we've actually trumped it. I think we've got a, a stranger one. So where does that come from? Where does what come Mezcal. from? Mezcal. Mezcal, uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. Okay. Um, even if you brought up agave and did the exact process, you wouldn't be able to call it Mezcal. Mezcal is a regional spirit. Okay. Um, and it is from the Oaxaca region of Mexico. So they do it with a, a – but it's not the exact same way or thing that you're doing. When no, it's a, they, use, okay. they use agave – and they will roast the agave. Agave kind of has to be roasted to do a starch conversion. Um, it's similar to tequila, which is a different agave spirit, except tequila, they use indirect heat. They're not roasting it over, you know, fire or coals, mm-hmm. um, which is why tequila doesn't have that smoky flavor. And in Oaxaca, when they do mezcal, they, they cook the agave over mesquite coals most often, but some other woods are used sometimes as well. Okay. Um, we should try your gin first, because uh, Stephen Thomas comments on Facebook that your gin is top notch. So it is I feel like I, sh- I feel like I should try some okay, of that. Let's try some gin. Since I've I've in the past year found a very large appreciation of gin. So our gin was developed over about two years uh, on a little ten liter copper alembic still. Uh, and we, we actually scaled that recipe up on our first day of distillation from uh, 10 liters to 250 gallons without changing the recipe. So very humble beginnings for that gin. Um, it has now uh, won a gold medal at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, which is the biggest competition in the U.S. Um, so uh, big accolades from a humble beginning, which we're very excited about. 
contemporary western style gin, so very floral, very citrus forward. You'll get jasmine flower on the nose. Uh, very citrus forward palette and green tea on the finish really define Shot Tower. That's really good. Do you want to try that, Graham? Um, the what is where does the name Shot Tower come from? Because that's Baltimore centric too, right? Yes, uh, the Shot Tower is um, it's a it's currently a monument, but it was it's originally a functional building. It's down in the harbor, uh, the Phoenix Shot Tower, and. Um, it was uh, commissioned and built by uh, Charles Carroll, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and a native Marylander. Um, he laid the first brick. It's uh, made with about a million brick, which is interesting because it's uh, before the Washington Monument was finished, it was the tallest building in the U.S. And yeah. uh, they used to um, take molten lead up to the top of it. It's like a big cylinder, and they'd shake it through a sieve, and it would form kind of raindrops on the way down, and it would fall into this giant pool. And, that, and it would harden, and that's how they made shot. So it was a shot tower, huh. um, which is which is interesting. But uh, it's made with so many brick because the engineers didn't know how to build something that tall at the time. So they were just like, well, let's make the walls six feet thick. <laughs> and, uh, just keep piling them just, like, yeah, outwards and upwards. <laughs> so do you do any of the distilling also, or is that all Eli's? Uh, Eli and I are, are responsible for our, all production. Okay. Eli is our head distiller and... Um, and uh, COO, he, he's in charge of all our operations and ops. Um, but it is too much for one person, so I do. I'm the assistant to still. <laughs> well, at least you have an acronym too. Yes. <laughs> um, so who did you develop the recipe of the gin together, or was that do do each of you focus on certain type of spirits as your specialties, or is we, it all collaborative? In over the whole line, there are bottles that that have a little bit more history with one of us mm-hmm. than another. Um, so the gin, the gin was collaborative. We worked in, and this was when we were still um, pretty green. This is really when we were learning, learning to distill that we started on the gin. So we were also, um, we also had another person with some distilling experience uh, hanging out with us at the time. Uh, and we kind of all developed it collaborative. We, we had a really good idea of the style of gin we wanted to do. Um, and it was kind of an iteration process over uh, a long time, over a year. So how um, – so I've learned that there are different ways of adding the botanicals in. How How is your setup? We are do the... uh, maceration distilling. Okay. So we actually do uh, the botanical maceration in the still, um, and we distill on the botanicals. Um, Okay. And then, it, so is there just two ways, maceration and then vapor? Three, or is, yeah. oh. So there's a like a gin basket vapor distilling where you would just let the alcohol vapor pass over your botanicals. Um, and a lot of times, even in that, they, the vapor will kind of re-distil, re, uh, recondense in the gin basket. So there's it's a little bit, it's not just the vapor touching okay. it, right? Like it does actually kind of get wet. Um and then you could do it like us, which is distilling all the botanicals. Um, and we do pot still distillation, so there is no column, there is no gin basket. It's mm. it's a very simple one pass still, so it's really the only way to do it if you're doing a, a pot still distillation like we're doing. And there's also compound gin in which you would just macerate the botanicals, strain the botanicals out, and that's your gin. Okay. That doesn't uh, require distillation post botanical. So um, I think you kind of alluded to earlier the it was the art side of it is what led you to to choose a pot still as a um was that also because you planned on focusing towards whiskey because if 
Yes. And am, am I remembering correctly that pot stills are better for when your main focus is whiskey or um, or is it much more complicated it was than better, that? Better for us. It's okay. a little more complicated. Um, there are some great distilleries that use column stills for whiskey. Um, but the type of whiskey we want to do, we were very influenced by the early American distillers, which were the, the Scotch and the Irish settlers. So a lot of what we do can be traced back to Scotch. We use a high uh, malt content in our rye. Um, we do copper pot still distillation, and it's really even the shape of the still is very similar to some Scotch stills. So we were shooting for something very low rectification, meaning um, a lot of it, it doesn't go to a very high proof. A lot of character is going to get drawn through with the spirit. Um, we wanted our spirit to be kind of ex- as expressive as possible. So uh, there are lighter whiskeys and there are richer whiskeys. Ours is, is really rich. It's very flavor dense. It's very oily and viscous. Um, and we kind of, a lot of our production methods try to encourage that to the highest degree. Okay. Um, let's take a quick break to thank Roast House Pub one more time. Um, Roast House Pub, is, they, they do have some spirits that, and they plan on doing cocktail dinners uh, next year. So you could talk to them about uh, getting in on that fun because their beer dinners are absolutely amazing. Um, then December 21st, they'll be having a Victory Brewing Rarity Night with $5 Victory Pours. Uh, December 28th, uh, Monument City, because they beat out um, uh, Jailbreak, will be back again for Mom's Spaghetti Dinner Night. And then on January 4th, Oliver Brewing Company is having their 25th uh, birthday bash there with also deals on pours there. Um, so once again, thank you to Roast House Pub and Nico for their support. And check out their website and Facebook page to for updates on all their amazing events. So what else did you bring with you? Um, okay, so I brought I – brought Two other lines. I brought the smoked apple brandy line. Uh, so if we want to drink some mezcal style apple brandy, we can do that. Uh, I also brought the, uh, when I say line, it's because there's a second one, which is our seasonal uh, pachuca style apple brandy, um, which is worth talking about because it is, it is the weirder of the two. Um, so pachuca has, a, has an interesting history. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the spirit. I, I don't even know that. I wouldn't even okay. be able to spell uh, Pachuga de mezcal <laughs> is, uh, or mezcal de pachuca, I suppose. Um, is a particular kind of pachuga. So on, on special occasions, on anniversaries and quinceaneros and weddings and stuff, um, at, a, at one of the mezcal distilleries, they wouldn't really drink mezcal. They would drink something a little bit uh, more rare and special, and that would be pachuga. Okay. Uh, what pachuga is, um, is mezcal that's been redistilled over local fruits, nuts, spices, uh, and very traditionally uh, raw chicken breast hanging in the still. So like a what is paper that basket, <laughs> the the uh, the steam will will run over the chicken on the on the way to the condenser, and it'll render the chicken. Um, it adds a kind of a subtle savory umami note to the spirit. It really improves the mouthfeel. It's almost like a fat washed uh-huh. uh, spirit. Um, so that's kind of the most traditional and and kind of uh, you know they they use they don't just kind of pick fruit from around the world they use what's local to their distillery so in oaxaca it's oftentimes you know guava and pineapple and apples um and uh and then different distilleries have done you know the most traditional is chicken breast pachuga means chicken breast um but they people have used iguana and venison and rabbit and a lot of these things aren't available in the u.s um only a few pachugas really actually travel most of these 
distillers just keep it for their family and they make it in very small quantities because they can only make it when the fruit's ripe and it's uh, kind of part of their ceremonial fall harvest stuff. So since we do a mezcal-style apple brandy, we always wanted to do the Maryland Pachuga apple brandy, and we wanted to stay true to projects. So we wanted it to be a reflection of the Maryland terroir. Uh, so we took our smoked uh, mezcal-style apple brandy, and we redistilled it with uh, with uh, fruits and nuts that were foraged here in Maryland. So we used pawpaws and persimmons and black walnuts. I had never heard of a pawpaw before. In like in the past year, it seems to be in everything now. <laughs> Well, we're, yeah, we're lucky enough to have some people on the, the cutting edge of hipster fruit, um, <laughs> as it were. Uh, no, but, but pawpaws are great. If you, if you haven't tried one, uh, I encourage you next fall to, to kind of figure out when the season is, figure out who you know that has, knows where to get them, and, and go get okay. a pawpaw. So it's like the largest native to, to Maryland fruit. It uh, looks like a little mango, and it yeah. tastes very tropical, and it's completely bizarre that there's this mango tropical fruit that grows in Maryland that nobody knows about <laughs> because it uh, it has no shelf life, so it can't really okay. be cultivated. You can't put it in a grocery store because it just goes bad too quickly. So um, so we went forged fresh pawpaws. We got persimmons and black walnuts, um, macerated those in the still, distilled off of them, and in the still we hung a 24-pound Maryland country ham uh, that was um, – Actually cured out here uh, at a farm near Frederick. Oh, cool. And by a guy who wins the Frederick County Fair for his cured meats every year. Um, and it's it's wonderful. So I'd, I'd love to pour you. Yes, let's try that one. I mean, you had me at weird, so. <laughs> so kind of true to form, this is something we can only do once a year when the pawpaws are ripe. Um. And, and it just uh, just went out for distribution, so we're kind of very excited to have it out there. Uh, so this is going to taste a bit like our smoked apple brandy, which you may or may not have had, but but much more fruity. The pawpaw really comes through on the nose. Um, you'll get the kind of savory <clears throat> smoked ham at the end there. Yeah. But everything we do really expresses. You get the walnut, uh, you get the fruit, you get the ham, and it's still this kind of smoked apple spirit at heart. I don't know if I... I mean, you definitely get smoke at the end. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'd be able to re- like identify it as smoked ham without that's, that's knowing. Completely fair. But there's and it's also it's a smoky spirit even without the ham. Yeah. So this is part of the mystique of mezcal is whether or not you can actually taste the taste the meat. But I mean, knowing that there's ham there, it absolutely tastes like smoked ham. That spirit's also that's... distilled to proof, so that's sitting at a 107. We left it a little high. It's really good. It's smooth too for that strong. Yes, for is that from all like because there's just so much flavor going That's, uh, on. You know, it's part of it... our pot still distillation. Uh, we do just kind of very slow, meticulous distillation. That was a 17-hour distillation. I think. Oh wow. We started first, you know, early in the morning before the sun rose and, and went down. It went went home in the dark. Um, yeah, that was a long day. But the you know our gins are 100 proof uh, and very sippable neat. I mean everything we do tends to be high proof and also tends to. Oh, was that gi- that gin was 100 proof? Yeah, I mean that was super smooth and sippable. I mean yep. that like that. I there's a few definitely a few gins I've tried from Maryland where I will just drink on ice and just sip on it that I don't feel like it needs to be mixed in at all with anything else. <clears throat> so what um. What is is brandy just if it's made using apple as the fermentable sugars, or is there? If it's just called brandy, uh, that is referring to grape 
Gra- uh, oh, great. Gra- brandy. Yeah. So cognac is a brandy and that's made with champagne. Okay. And Armagnac is a brandy and that's made from grapes in the Armagnac region of France. So there's a lot of kind of subcategories of brandy, but brandy means grape fermentation, but kind of in the larger sense, it means fruit fermentation. Okay. Uh, but if you use a different fruit, uh, then you'll always see apple brandy or cherry brandy or peach brandy or pear brandy. And that's, um, brandy is a fruit fermentation. Okay. Um, that's something I, I, I found cool too, is that like the, every type of spirit, the, really the basis is what you're using for the, what did the you fermentation. Ferment? Right. And I guess I, I, I never, I never until this past year had really been very into spirits other than in college, just using them as a very efficient way to get drunk. Some jungle juice. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, or like just horrible things like rumple mints and 151 or, um, but I, I, in my mind, not like with a very limited understanding of distilling, I wouldn't have thought that what you ferment with affects the taste so much. I guess I, I just thought that all of the taste came after the distilling process you know distilling is so much more of a mystery in the to the common person than than brewing or winemaking is um maybe that's because the science is a little intimidating tough to say uh but yeah all of the you know rum means it's a sugar cane fermentation that's why it tastes like sugar and brandy is fruit and whiskey is cereal grain I mean, whiskey is essentially distilled unhopped beer um and then the kind of then there's the neutral categories where it doesn't really matter what you fermented, but that kind of explains the rest of it. Because if you if you distill past a certain proof to where it doesn't actually have the character of the fermentation left in the flavor profile, they consider that a neutral spirit, and that's where gin. Okay, comes from. so I guess Vodka that's what from, and fl- you know a bunch of different liqueurs come from this because it's not really related to the fermentation anymore because it's been distilled to such high proof. So I guess in my mind, that's just what all right. all spirits were just yeah, neutral, but it, there's way more complexity to it than i had any understanding of um so what else do you have with you this um i'm excited about how good all of your we we work really hard to do stuff at the highest level we are um were you at the excessive with were you at the frederick spirits festival last year we were maybe i'm not sure i wasn't personally and i know we missed something but we could have been it could have just been it was early it was in april i think out here not sure. uh, with the name okay yeah, i mean i'm it's very it's very plausible that eli or ian came up and worked it because we'll you know there's three of us right yeah so sometimes we get double booked and we got to split up so uh but it wasn't me i wasn't here gotcha uh so third um i brought our new line of amari another word i don't know at all that is an awesome bottle too hold that one up it's so simplistic but awesome looking. Mm-hmm. And they are, uh, it looks like a book binding on the side. Yeah. There's actually a, a line. So I brought three of them, and they look like a little Encyclopedia Britannica set if you put them together on your bookshelf. Uh, so Amaro, um, this is the first Amaro made uh, in Baltimore ever, we think, and uh, likely in Maryland ever. Uh, they're traditional digestif um liqueurs from the Amalfi Coast is where all all the kind of Amari come from. And now uh, with the kind of cocktail scene resurgence and and really kind of historically, they've they've branched out from just the Amalfi Coast. So there's some made in Mexico and some made in other parts of Europe. And uh, it's a really exciting category, but they're they're essentially digestif liqueurs. So they're all a little bitter on the finish. Uh, I'd say the most famous Amaro in the U.S. would be Campari or Aperol. 
and those are kind of very distinct. I mean, it's a huge category, and those those are very similar to one another and have a very distinct profile. But Fernet Broncos and Amaro, and then there's all these lovely, you know, very old recipes of Amaro, like Averna and Montenegro and Chinar, um, and all these great things. So, so we are once again uh, nerds about this category. We tend to make things <laughs> that we're very excited about. Uh, since it's a small company, there's not a lot of people to say no. So when people get, when somebody gets really excited about doing something, we, we kind of see where that road leads. And this is one of the things where we, we went very, very deep and uh, spent uh, well over a year developing these recipes and doing some very lovely R&D. Um, so there's three of them. I'd be happy to taste you on all of them. I might need a fresh cup. I have a whole bunch. Lovely. So I've got one over here. So if you can give me two, then I will... Talk you through the line. So is it your background in um, working at a bar that got you interested in all these different ones, the these different spirits that other craft distilleries in the area aren't making? Or is it just as you guys started that you were looking for different i mean they're they're passion products so we want to be expressive that's that's our project is is kind of be expressive this this company is going to be a reflection a reflection of of the founders um for a long time so there's you know there's a reason we don't do vodka uh to make a great vodka takes a lot of craft and there's no denying that you have to be very good at your job to do it but vod great vodka tastes mostly like all the other great vodkas yeah. out there. it's supposed to be neutral in fact the the more neutral it is the better the vodka in a lot of ways. So it's not very expressive. We kind of never even considered that as a project. But gin, you know, gin is about the recipe. It's about balance. And it's, you know, it's this huge world of botanicals at your fingertips that you can take one or 20 or 50 or 100 out of, you know, tens of thousands of botanicals and make your own thing. So that's much more um, exciting for us. And tomorrow is a great category. Uh, we are you know, we didn't Google spirits categories and find something <laughs> and then go out and drink them. Yeah. We, we knew Amaro before we knew we were going to make it. Um, and once we kind of started the thread of let's do some for fun and re then, you know, that kind of encourages you to read a little bit more about production and then you get some ideas about new flavors and things that, that it kind of, it builds. And then once we kind of, we hit the green light of, all right, this is something we want to do. Let's get some real test batches and AB batches and, and move forward and, and get, you know, bartenders from the city involved in, in feedback and things like that, that we could have kind of uh, grew this over a very long time. But we're excited to have them out. They've been out for about three weeks now. Um, so they're just kind of running into stores. We're going to start with volume one, which is our Fernet style tomorrow. Um, this is another 100 proof spirit. <clears throat> Fernet's always a little bit, uh, tends to be a little bit stronger than, than others. So this is our classic digestif. It's the most bitter, it's the least sweet. It's very uh, earthy botanical uh, root mixture in there, but you'll it kind get... of has like a licorice smell a so little bit. So we do it. use star anise. Okay. Um, so star anise, mint, and rhubarb root will be the kind of main notes on here, um, with a very classic gentian root, angelica root uh, finish. Um, but this would be a very classic after dinner sipper. It kind of this bitters category comes out of the this kind of medicinal bitters thing where, where roots are supposed to aid in digestion and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of where all these. Um, the kind of history of the genre comes from that bitters medicinal uh, background. That is good. And I, I love it. Like it's just, 
the whole time it's in your mouth, there's just different flavors coming from every angle. <laughs> they're all they're all very complex. The fernet uh, has a lot going on. Really fun in cocktails because those botanicals really blow up when you mix them, um, because they're very densely packed in there. So when you when you spread them out, they really kind of express in different ways. And if you put a shot of that, <clears throat> if you put a shot of that in a light beer, uh, it actually tastes kind of like a cola because there's sarsaparilla oh. root in there and anise and kind of all these things that are very classic cola roots and so if you kind of spread it out over some sparkling uh beer it really kind of has a very cold thing so far that's that's my favorite one right now nice and also Um, it i i like there is almost no burn to any uh, anything we've tried today like there's there's some tingling on the tongue but you don't get that burn down the throat or into the nose that you sometimes get with spirits with spirits in general um, I mean, balance is important and there's nothing, nothing wrong with some heat, but I mean, ideally, you know, it's, that's not the defining factor. Uh, so that's our traditional, uh, Amaro. That's kind of the most exemplary of the, of the genre. The other two are more out of the box and they're kind of our own expression. So the second is our Szechuan peppercorn Amaro. Um, Szechuan peppercorn is not something traditionally used in Amaro, which makes sense. It's not something you really expect to find in, in, uh, the Amalfi coast. Um, but that's what you're getting on the nose. It's, it's very Szechuan forward on the nose. It still has uh, a nice botanical background. There's, there's a bunch of uh, really cool traditional Amaro um, botanicals in there. Uh, it is our lightest body tomorrow, so it's not as bitter. It's a little bit more sweet than the last one. It makes a really nice spritz. But that's, a, to us, a very exciting spirit because we really don't think that there's anything like that out on the market. This, is, this one is ridiculously smooth. What's the proof That's on this? Seventy proof. Okay, but I mean, it it doesn't taste like alcohol at all. It's just like drinking a very flavorful liquid. That this one's great. Still like the Fernet mm-hmm. a little bit better than that one, but this is a very close second. There's a lot of mace in that one, which is uh, pretty cool. But Szechuan has a really uh, interesting property. It's actually like an anesthetic by nature. So if you like chew on Szechuan peppercorns, it, it numbs your mouth. And that spirit actually carries a little bit of that with it. It actually has kind of a numbing sensation when you drink it, which is uh, pretty cool. And third is a coffee Amaro. I don't know why there's not more Italian coffee Amaro. They like their coffee. They like their Amaro. Um, but I've never actually seen a coffee Amaro from Italy, so I'm not sure they exist um, but it seemed to be a natural fit for us. So it's a coffee liqueur, but you know, it is an Amaro. So we really wanted it to be identifiably in the Amaro category. You definitely so can nice, smell the coffee on the nose. Yes. Uh, coffee, a little bit of star anise in there as well. A lot of citrus peel, um, angelica root, orris root. Um, so a nice medium body tomorrow finish, but it doesn't drink like a Kahlua. You know, it has a real botanical, um, mix to it. The coffee sits really central to it, but it's not overpowering. All right. That one took first place. I love that. What kind of coffee do you use? Uh, we use coffee that's roasted by uh, Thread Coffee down in Baltimore. Good friends of ours run Thread, and they do a uh, custom roast for us. How is the coffee added in? Like what? Uh, in maceration, uh, so okay. it's macerated in here. It's not distilled in or anything like that. So through like the same process of the, like a gin, like the 
Except, well, it? in gin, you distill off the botanicals. Okay. In this, it's, a, it's like a cold maceration, like making cold brew. Oh, okay. So after it's, it's like it's done. In, in the, yeah, in the spirit itself, it's macerated okay. the botanicals and then strained up. So are, those, are they all um, rested in a barrel? or uh, they... The coffee and the fernet are both rested in a used rye whiskey barrel for a month. <clears throat> the fernet barrel is one that's uh, previously used for Shot Tower Gin, the barrel gin. Okay. The coffee is just a used rye barrel. The Szechuan is rested in stainless because um, <clears throat> the, the kind of vanilla dark flavor profile doesn't make as much sense in that one. Uh, but we do uh, kind of, yeah, after they're all infused, we do a rest to make sure all the oils incorporate over about a month. And then after we sweeten and proof down, we do a second rest to make sure all the sugar incorporates evenly um, and everything kind of smooths out. Yeah, I think what's great about doing these too is that it gets another a, a product that other distillers aren't doing that you can have out in the market more quickly while you're waiting for your whiskeys to age. Yes. Uh, it is certainly convenient to not take on any more three-year projects, you yeah. know, where it takes a lot of investment with, with no return for a number of years. Um, so that's great. And I kind of I do want to highlight that none of the spirits we're doing now uh, will we stop doing when the whiskey comes out. This isn't a waiting game, explicitly speaking, for the yeah. whiskey. Now, of course, you need some sort of cash flow or you need to sacrifice aging time on your whiskey to, you know, to get it out. Um, so, you know, part of our business plan is to be able to stay alive, yeah. keep the doors open. It's a but, good, good, but yeah, solid part of a business plan. It's an important part. Um, but we're, you know, the Shot Tower Gen, that's a product we care deeply for and that we'll always make that. And same with the Amaros. We don't release anything as a core product without uh, kind of taking its future very seriously. Yeah, that is great. Are you distributed distributed in Frederick? Yes. Yep. Okay. All over Maryland and in D.C. as well. Oh, great. I'm going to go find some of that because that is amazingly good. <clears throat> I, did we cover everything you brought with you? Uh, did... You know, I, we didn't. We didn't try the smoked apple brandy, the base version. Um, but we did try, try the. Uh... Let's try that one too. We may as well try everything you brought. May as well. Here we are. I didn't drive all the way down here to not. Does that one look dirty? It doesn't look dirty. It just has something in it, and I don't uh, know what it is. Um, well, it's probably just water. Yes, it is water. I cleaned them, but sometimes I'm not that great, and so there could have been residue from the last time we tasted stuff, and I waited weeks to clean it. <laughs> uh, so this is our uh, Fumus Pumila. It's our wood-smoked apple spirit. That's a cool um, label. It's cool label. So this, uh, it used to be called Charles Street, and it just uh, underwent a little bit of rebranding, so it spoke a little bit uh, more to what it what was in the in the bottle. Um, so it drinks a lot like a mezcal. Um, you'd probably fool fool most people into thinking it's a mezcal. It's certainly, yeah, that one's more, definitely way smokier. More like a mezcal than it is a uh, an apple brandy. Uh, but really exciting. We we are. I mean, we yeah. We were kind of very excited that we created something new that, that we think is very reverent to the original spirit. And, you know, apple brandy in, in Maryland and in the Northeast U.S. has a very long history. It's really the original colonial spirit was apple brandy that they were making here. Um, and it was very fun to kind of combine two great North American uh, spirit traditions into a new thing. So what, um, when your whiskeys come out in two months, what will they be like? Um, so... Rye whiskey is a very cool category. Uh, we're excited at making a comeback. We're excited that we get to do it in Baltimore. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, if you go to a liquor store, you know, you know, 10 years ago, you might be able to find one or two ryes. 
and now there's a shelf arise and you might see 30 of them on the shelf um, and the kind of you know if you look behind the curtain a little bit um, there's really maybe only seven or eight out of those 30 that are actually uh, different you know there's a lot of them that are made in the same place there's a lot of brands that oh uh, they're just the buying the juice and... you know uh, and now some of those brands do cool blending or cool barrel finishing there's kind of still some creativity but having an actual new expression of properly aged straight rye whiskey come out that's got a unique mash build that's made on a unique system in a in kind of a, a special uh, still uh, to kind of highlight the grain quality is is actually really exciting for the whiskey world so uh, we do taste out of the barrel it's very very good in there it's got um, we use uh, rye and rye malt with a very high percentage of rye malt not many people use rye malt at all it's a very uh, rare grain to use in whiskey making um, but it's got a really cool flavor profile so it's very tropical it's got this this great kind of melon marshmallow coconut kick to it uh, which complements the rye spice uh, of the the unmalted rye which is when people say rye whiskey they're talking unmalted rye um, it really com- they really complement each other and it creates uh, a very fresh spirit that's identifiably rye um, but but certainly not confusable for something else on the market so we're very excited to get it out do you sell a white rye or you're only you just we do went not. straight to we just went straight for- the white rye to us felt a little bit not like a novelty product for us we knew what we were trying to do yeah um and we certain you can certainly sell it we certainly could have and, and we've had people ask but i don't think that's something people will buy more than one bottle of you know they buy it because it's interesting yeah uh, but not because it's done and so we're kind of trying to trying to get it right on the first pass i have a little two liter uh barrel of rye whiskey aging in my basement right now nice um you said uh I think you said it real briefly when we were talking about a different product. What kind of barrels are you resting your gin on? Uh, the Barrel Rusted Shot Tower uh, spends nine months in used rye whiskey barrels. Okay. From, uh, I guess, from some else A few different distilleries, now, right? You've, we've had some Heaven Hill, some Whistle Pig. Um, <clears throat> when our rye comes out, they'll You'll be You'll just use your own going right. forward. That's what, and because for, for it to be considered... Um, is it just American rye whiskey or rye whiskey at all? It can only be used once for that rye whiskey at all. Okay, and then so if if you so what would it be considered then if you whiskey were made used from a, rye mash? Okay, that's that's another th- funny thing with I, I find with spirits at least is that like the the TTB I guess is who dictates all that right or the TTB is is our oversight they dictate the labels and stuff but they don't. I guess they oversee those laws are implemented properly and they don't come inspect your barrels. Right. Yeah. Um, there are certainly, you know, sometimes I see some things on labels that I know aren't allowed. You know, okay. So, um, but, but it's, it's like so particular, the particular. phrasing, like, like if it, cause only whiskey can be labeled as barrel aged. Right. And then right. Other, gin has to, you know, ours says barreled and it says barrel rested yeah. on the back. You can't say it cause gin is an unaged spirit by legal definition. So, um yeah it's interesting you know when it comes to um what what you were talking about which is that rye uh, as well as bourbon has to be aged in a new barrel an unused barrel that's never been used for anything else um that law was originally put in place to to promote the cooperage industry right so people kept buying new barrels and they were kind of kept these people working um, but it's really new barrels do something that used barrels don't do at least they don't do it as quickly they say every time you use a barrel it takes about twice as long to extract the same amount of uh, oak and vanilla from the wood so if you use it one time for two years the next time you used to do it would take four years okay and some other you know and over those four years 
other things will happen um, besides that. You'll so you'll achieve the same kind of vanilla notes in four years, but a different you know four years of aging is just different than two. So while it was originally put in place to protect the cooperages, now it really protects the identity of bourbon and rye because you you get something from using a new barrel that you don't get from using a used barrel. So if it says rye whiskey, and and there are rye whiskey fanatics out there who buy it, they need they want to know what to expect. And uh, without any kind of laws uh, protecting the identity of this American, you know, historical spirit, then people start doing all sorts of crazy things and, yeah. and it kind of loses its luster a little bit. So there are people doing, you know, whiskey from rye mash that can be very creative. You can do whatever you want. You just call it something else. You don't even have, you can call it whiskey if you want. You can call it American whiskey, uh, grain whiskey. You know, you can just, there's a lot of things you can call it. You're just, but you're, you're very distinctly not making rye. Well, but thankfully, uh, t- for craft beer and other uh, uses, there's an endless demand for your used barrels. So it's, Very true. it's not that much of a problem because from what I understand, you can sell a used barrel for pretty close to what you purchased it for to begin with. So, Yes, you got to sit on it for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but you do start you do you will recoup some of those costs and we like we reuse them for some of our apple brandy products and some of our gin products so uh it's not just uh it's not money down the drain yeah so what is the difference between using an e and not using an e with the word whiskey um regional okay it has nothing to do with what's in it the american spelling and i I believe the spelling in in most of the world is with an e but uh the scotch region in in britain is okay that's um, all right, so now we'll get into, unless you have anything else you want to cover about yourself or Baltimore Whiskey Company, we'll close up with my normal array of yeah, questions. Me, uh, so um, for anyone listening who hasn't visited us, we are in our current um, distillery through the holidays um, and into January, which at some point we will begin our move into Union Collective. So please come visit us uh, where it all started. We're excited to expand, but but our current space has a lot of character and, and we really want to see where have see people see where we came from. So, uh, we do open house tours every Saturday from noon to four. They're free. They involve a free tasting. Um, and we talk about whiskey and you can kind of see where everything's at. Uh, and also Monday to Friday, nine to five, we're kind of there producing and there's always somebody there and you're always welcome to stick your head in and see what's up. Is Eli still trapped inside of Eli the is barrels trapped right now? Um, I throw him some food every couple of days <laughs> to keep him to keep him healthy uh, for the move. <clears throat> and oh, one man, day I, we'll dig him out. I think I've shared that video out before, but I'll definitely share it again because awesome. I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, so first of all, what is your favorite product that you make? Uh, that that is we are these are my these are my children. Yeah, but uh, everyone when, has a favorite child too. <laughs> no, 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 not that they talk about. No, I'll tell you which one's my favorite. <laughs> Well, today at least it changes day to day. <laughs> all right. Well, then we'll we'll let you skip that question. Do you drink beer at all? Absolutely. What is your favorite Maryland beer? Favorite Maryland beer. That is also tough. I can go with some favorite Maryland breweries, uh, and I don't want to leave anybody out. Well, it, we'll um, just say these are in your top ten. Examples from your top examples ten. Examples from my top ten. Uh, love uh, Union Brewing. I mean, without a doubt, um, is a fantastic Baltimore brewery, and we're excited to be working with yeah, That works out well them. for you. We're going to be doing a lot of collaboration <laughs> with them, and um, I'm very kind of happy it's them. 
Brewers Art, which have been around forever, um, continue to just kind of do their own thing, which I love that they are not uh, exactly subject to trend. They've been been doing their own thing for for many, many years. Uh, Monument City guys are some of my favorite guys in the city. Um, I'm excited that they finally have their own tap room and brewery down in uh, down in Highland Town in Baltimore. So check them out. Uh, yeah, we just had them on. They um, they were great. They're they're killer. And then Gunda Beer, uh, which is a very small yes. brand um, out of out of the Peabody Heights Brewery, which makes great beer for a lot of people. But the guys who run Gunda are uh, are great and. Uh, yeah, Tim of, and Rahul are awesome. On the wall as possible, so they're doing they're doing crazy stuff and doing it at a very high level. And we've had them on. They're they're actually they may even Tim often watches. And actually, he may not be because he he would usually make a snide comment at least once throughout he would, the. He would have been talking <laughs> at me for sure. Graham keeps motioning to me like that. There's some sort of question or something I should pay attention to, but when I look, there is nothing there. Oh, just people saying hi to you in that uh, in the ha- I I think they should have went with hashtag free Eli, <laughs> but that was Eli. So he, he wants to be freed, so he's apparently not happy with just being thrown food and uh, alcohol every once in a uh, while. I'll get him some sweet Christmas cookies here, and then we'll see how it feels. <laughs> because if you just throw it down enough, um, and then the final question is, what is the most ridiculous review you've ever received? Um, but the most ridiculous review I ever received. So we have received one four star review on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> everything else is five stars. Our, our Yelp is all five stars. Um, and maybe, maybe it was on Yelp that we got the fourth, but we've gotten one less than perfect review. And it was from what some, from someone who came in, uh, on accident, asking for directions, looked around and didn't try anything and then left. And Were they not they happy with a review and they gave us the only four star review we've ever got. Were they unhappy with your directions you provided? Or they seemed to be fairly happy with the whole thing. They were like, great people, <laughs> really cool space, really happy I stumbled upon here. Four out of five. <laughs> they didn't even try anything. I, I need to start looking before. Like, it's almost useless asking distilleries what their most ridiculous review is because you all have nothing but five star reviews. We so, did work. And I get maybe just craft beer people are much more picky because every craft beer brewery has just an endless slew of people just saying ridiculous things and about everybody them. likes to fancy themselves the, the yeah. biggest beer you know professional in the world so yeah. but that's funny that your worst review is someone didn't even try or mean I to know. be there we were, we were not less, less than pleased all right well, um, thank you so much for coming out. My pleasure. Um, I, w- I will let you get back to Baltimore so you can uh, feed Eli mm-hmm. and possibly consider letting him out. Um, Think about it. <laughs> uh, it's been a great time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.